Welcome to Into the West, the Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game Podcast. We're back with another episode today. Today, the topic will be discussing advanced armies. We have a special guest joining us today, Rainier Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for having me back. You might know Rainier from the Unexpected podcast. He's also a very well-known tournament player in the U.S. He's won championships left and right and we would be here all day if we were to discuss every tournament he's won so we think that he's a perfect person to uh, get on here for this topic so uh, we'll each be going over two of our picks and this will be a continuation to a previous video where we did our choice for uh, beginner armies so please go and check that out if you haven't already rainier uh, wouldn't know anything about the beginner army stuff so that's why we didn't have him on for that one before we get started i just want to quickly give a shout out to all the hobbyists who submitted photos for this episode please go check out their work and support them instagram handles will be in the description and also on screen for each photo so today we're going to be talking about advanced armies so what would you say in your opinion is an advantage to getting into a uh, an army that requires more nuance and and uh, is more complex to play? Mm-hmm. I think they are a high reward in a sense. Like you're kind of gambling in the sense where your list is going to have a lot of weaknesses, but when the strengths click, they really click. And I feel like I, I wonder where our conversation is going to go, but I know in the U.S., East Coast especially, you have evil meta-dominating regardless of what year it is or what Legion comes out. I know Alistair published for an unexpected tourney three, something like the eight or nine of the top 10 were all evil. And that's even with really good meta lists and good Legions and low points where like Legions like thrive. So for me, I like the idea of having a weakness in my army. And that's why I was super excited about this episode because I do play lists that kind of hit hard, but they can't be hit. So something like you Harad, pure, like it's a really, really good list, but they're defense four all around, and they're going to die pretty, pretty softly. I don't want to give too much away, but I'm going to be talking about Corsairs because I've won many events there, but they do have some blaring weaknesses, and you do have to play these certain, I guess, lists correctly, or else you're going to kind of get slapped in the face with it. So that's what I like about the game, high risk, high reward. Okay, so let's dive right into our picks. Richard, do you mind going with one of your picks to kick us off? Okay, so the first one is actually, you know, a list that I've been playing quite a bit in the last couple of years. It's Moria, and I really like Moria, but I definitely think it's one of the lists with a lot of thinking even just building your list because of the huge variety and there's a lot of avenues to go into i think now with the inclusion of the depths of moria legendary legion with the balrog if you decide to pick the balrog and go that route it's a little bit easier and that would be more like a beginner army but if you're just playing the standard moria you know which monsters do you want to take you know, do you want to go Beast Moria? Do you want to go Goblin Moria? Do you want to go... Because they have, like, elite troops, one of the cheapest troops as well. They got Shaman, they got Magic. 
So it, they just have everything. And when I see these threads with like beginners and stuff looking for advice on how to build a Moria list, it's very, very hard to help them because it's like, well, you have to really specify what kind of list you're trying to build. I guess it really revolves around which monster you're kind of going to choose to base the Moria list off of. And then how you structure, like you're saying, like around that with like what support pieces you want to take. Yeah, that's true. And I, I like that you kind of bring up the list building aspect of it, because a lot of these factions, we're going to think, oh, it's the model. We have to think about the strategy in game. But the list build in most of these factions is going to be a struggle in itself for a lot of new players. And I agree with you, too. Like you see some Moria lists kind of taking first or third or second in an event and everyone rushes towards them and it lasts about a week because then they realize I can't actually play this. Like I make one mistake and it like starts tumbling or something. Yeah, and just to add on, like one of the best units in the game, the Bat Swarm, and like there's no doubt it's so good. Like, you know, having the fight value of an enemy model, especially you pair it with the right monster, you're going to be able to kill anything. But it does take experience and finesse to play out, especially if you're also playing against like an experienced player because they know what's coming. So, yeah, it just certain combos as well is required to do well with Moria. Moria has a lot of models that are different from any other army. So I guess if you want to get into this army, it might not play like anything else you've ever played. So like it's got the Watcher in the Water, nothing in any other army works like this model. There are a lot of expensive profiles, like the drum profile, you have the dragon. By taking these models, they take quite a bit of a learning curve sometimes. So I think just because it's not similar to any other list in the game, it takes a bit of skill and practice to get into this army. Yeah, and uh, I guess one last point to add that you reminded me of, having no banner in the list. I think that if you're gonna play pure Moria, that's always gonna be a gamble at a tournament because you, you have to know how to get out of a situation where you, you're in a scenario that has banner VPs because if the opponent is smart enough they're just going to know that all they have to do is castle their banner and keep away and they'll just win the game. So you have to be aware of those situations of how you're going to be able to actually come back and take those games. I kind of like how you mentioned the scenarios because I feel like one difficult thing to handle when you play Moria is that each kind of section moves at a different pace. So your goblins move five inches, your marauders move 10, your your bats move not 12, your watcher just pops up wherever. So I find it very like uh, just out of experience, seeing a lot of people try at Moria, that's what kind of messes them up is you'll like overcommit with the really fast stuff or the slow stuff will come or you'll save the fast stuff with your battle line coming with the goblins and it'll get shot out. So it's just, it's a difficult, you know? Yeah. But it's very rewarding for someone who can play it perfectly can be very hard to stop. And, you know, evil doesn't have a lot of alliances and out of all the evil forces, maybe Mordor has just as much, maybe not, but I think Moria has one of the most. So if you wanna, you know, come to the dark side, play some yellow alliances, you know, Moria is the faction to do so as well. Bath swarms for everyone, <laughs> woohoo. Yeah, I love it that Richard in the era of the religion of legions is still preaching his religion of yellow. <laughs> He's like the one person in the cave like, we must still try this. It's still going on. 
Charles, you, you, you pointed it right out, like high risk, high reward, like these you do see, and I'm going to say like uh, Alisher from our East Pennsylvania group, like he does really, really good with them. And he like wins tournaments with them and does well, but it took him a long time to kind of perfect it. Rainier, would you like to go ahead with one of your picks? Yeah, so uh, my, the first pick that I'll talk about is Khan. Now, I think this list, uh, not only is it super expensive to buy financially, but it's very difficult to pilot as a player. I say this because it basically has two to three profiles. You have the only uh, warriors you can bring are a cav model with a bow and a one-handed axe or a uh, infantry model with the same profile, basically. And then on top of that, they have chariots, which are really good. I know a lot of people ally them into lists, but I'm talking about Khan Pure. And they have a king and a chieftain, both maxed out at two might, and also kind of lacking in the sense that you don't get that banner like Moria. They'll have 50 banners on their chariots, 50 banners on their backs, but yet they do not get those victory points is what I mean at the end of the day for the banner, which is a travesty. So I say this is hard to pilot as well, too, because I've played them and I like them a lot, but I've played against them and I've seen a lot of people either try to get into a shooting war with them because you have a ton of bows and get knocked out by elves or even Gondor because they're only defense four and you can't take too many of them or overcommit with their chariots or overcommit in an attack with their cab and get slaughtered with Croak combats because they're only defense four. So it's really tricky to find that kind of like old Mongol Hun-esque kind of like strategy of hit and run with them that I feel like a lot of players who castle don't quite get and a lot of players that are over aggressive don't quite get. So for me, I choose them because they're pretty difficult to pilot. Well, hit and run is hard to, to pilot in just tournament games in general because you're fighting the clock at that point. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That's so true. There are some skirmishy lists like this in the game where you can have the option to take like some sort of a balanced list as well. But for Khan, you just don't have the options. It's a pure skirmishing force. You don't have a battle line, really. You know, you don't have shields. You don't have spears. And uh, also, just bringing up the chariots, they move in a really awkward way. Like, you have to pivot every, like, few inches. And without having experience playing with them and probably losing many times with them, like, you won't be able to control them well. But at the same time, if it's not a list that's seen very common in your scene, I could see this also surprising a lot of opponents if you're really good at this army. So, again, this is like a risk and reward, right? Yeah, Rainier, like you said this in the beginning, that you enjoy lists with weaknesses. And I think that's what makes this army so tough is the weaknesses are so big. Like, the strengths are definitely there. But, like, if you come up against, like, a D7 army... It's going to be an uphill battle. If you come up against an army with magic, you really have to watch your chariots. Obviously, that's why people say don't take the regular warrior chariots. But even the the hero chariots, if they wear you down, you know, wear your will out and stuff and you can't resist anymore, like one simple command or compel into your own army, you could be just done for. Yeah, and they, they also have the mirage effect is what I call it in a sense where they look like they're a huge force because it's all cav. Rohan does this as well. Like any cav, like you see a whole bunch of ward riders 
and it's a whole mirage where you're like, oh my gosh, this I can ride into glory with my banners like like Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai and just. But basically, what happens is the Gatling gun goes and just like knocks you and kills you all. But that said, if you do choose your charges selectively, all of the models are fight four, and all the warriors can go up to strength four with piercing strike. So you see a kind of like light cab with a bow, and you don't realize that if you go up against, let's say, a Moran in battle line, or you go up against a strength three defense six battle line with the king six inch banner, like you can knock that battle line to kingdom come and even broke combat with a few chariots and really destroy it. So I would say you have to be selective in that sense because you can play it many different ways. It's not just the hit and run. You can do like a really tactical charge and stuff, but it's very, very, very risky. And it's kind of like a gamble each time. So like, I just, it's fun to play. It throws people off, especially when you have like 12 cav and you're like shooting, you get like one kill and then like they have a battle line and you just commit and you take out like 15 guys. Like that's that's a beautiful part. Does it happen not commonly? No, but it can happen sometimes. I'm just looking at the Candish Horseman profile and I actually kind of like quite like it for its points value just in general. Like I feel like, like the list definitely has some pretty good strengths, but... Yeah, I mean, all cavalry armies are going to be hard, though, especially with, like, your limited might points that you have available in the list. It's hard to keep the momentum going. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. And you could, like, if you went pure and tossed in a few, what I like doing is I, t- I like tossing in a few uh, infantrymen. And what you do is you put them in front of your kings or chieftains on chariots, kind of as a buffer zone. So if your opponent charges, they have to charge that infantryman, and you just ride over them, boom, and then, like, go into combat. So you sprinkle a few in uh, selectfully, and it helps. But at like an 800-point army, I think I was painting up one before I left a Korea. It had something like 38 to 42 models, just because, like you said, Ian, 13 points for like a, a bow archer where it doesn't count towards your bow limit, not bad at all. And then you don't put the chariots because the charioteers are 30 points. It's kind of a waste. You just throw a, a maybe one king and all the rest chieftains, chieftain on a chariot's like, 85 points, which is not bad at all. Then you max it out with a few infantry, and you got like 25 or so shots, and just it's it's a good it's a good list to play. All right, Ian, would you like to go with your first pick? <laughs> Shall I follow that up with another Cav list? <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Since we're on the topic, um, so I guess yeah, my first pick is going to be a Rohan, just like like pure Rohan, and. Mostly, it's also the same kind of reasons. Like, it is an all-cav list, and that is just hard to learn to play in general. Like, figuring out when you need to commit to the fight, and also how to handle reserves. Because with cavalry armies, you almost always have to have something in reserve. So if you lose the charge, you need to be able to countercharge, so you're still getting your volume of dice that you need to. And just that dynamic can make it really difficult. Also, with the fact that there are so many Rohan legendary legions, <laughs> base Rohan kind of feels like it's just left to the wayside because most other times you're going to want to end up taking one of the legendary legions, even though some profiles, I think, in base Rohan get left out that are pretty good. Like, Theodrid doesn't see any play really in, like, mounted Rohan lists, even though I think he's fantastic. But in general, yeah, it's just, it's just all cav armies are hard. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because it takes a lot of like, like you said, foreshadowing what's going to happen in the game, position your units. And what I see a lot is uh, Rohan and Khan, Rohan specifically because it's played more often, you'll just see people like shooting and running and shooting and running and shooting and running. And you hit on a five with that and you're not really going to kill much. Or what common mistakes in Rohan they make are they, they play the battle line like a shield wall where you're reserving your resources and reserving your resources and reserving your resources. Sometimes with cav armies, I feel like you just need to punch hard and punch really hard. Use the might for rogue combats. Use the might to kill as much as you can, and then you'll have the number superiority and have a chance to kind of dominate, which is like another reason like I think people struggle to play cav armies for that reason. Yeah, the... The skirmishing isn't necessarily to try and do damage. It's just to try and open up gaps in your opponent and then get, like, isolate something. And then you got to commit to that point where you want to attack, like you're saying, and, and do the damage that you need to on the charge before uh, before your opponent can catch up and kind of, like, get you stuck into, like, a general melee. I find that this army is one of the biggest trap armies because, obviously, it's one of the big four armies that, you know, people like with Rohan, Isengard, Mordor. Minas Tirith. like these are what people are drawn to mainly because like they're in a lot of like starter packs so they're really easy to get they're cheap on ebay but yeah i agree with ian like this out of the main four i think this is probably the hardest one it's always tough choosing a an army with like no no spear support so you can't even go like you know half cavalry half infantry and just have like you know a bit of a, a shield wall line as like a backup like it's it's all or nothing. The regular Rohan, you don't really benefit from taking regular infantry. So I, I think it's just, yeah, it's really tough. And if you're going to go all cab too, you also have to think, well, if I'm going to go like the aggressive cab, why not just take um, Thedon's, uh, Thedon's Riders Legion, right? Because that hits a lot harder. So if you're going to be picking Rohan pure, it means you do want some sort of like skirmishing aspect to it. So it takes a lot of, I think, planning to even give yourself a reason to take Rohan. And you got to figure out too, like depending on the heroes you take, the army is going to be played a completely different way. So Ian said it like nicely. Theodrid is an amazing pick for Rohan. For his points, he's a beast. But like a lot of people, when they choose Rohan, it's difficult because they want to take the main characters Maybe they'll go too heavy on the heroes, but not play really aggressively, or they'll go heavy on the units and play too aggressively and get like get like killed after the initial charge. So it's again one of those things where like the difficulty starts when you're building a list because you have to really know specifically. Okay, I'm gonna take this many royal guards because I want them to do a specific role. I'm gonna take this specific leader to do this role and this specific hero to do that role. So it's it's very like too many options kind of you're at a smorgasbord buffet and you're like ah, what do i do and then before you know it, your horse is going crazy and people are slaughtering you so <laughs> you also don't really have like just the raw stats on your heroes to fall back on if things go poorly like your captain fight five for all of your your best combat heroes are fight five but they can get you know outfought by a lot of things and most of them are two wounds one fate so they can't really take a hit back so it's yeah, it's it can be pretty unforgiving. I think for competitive players generally who want to get into a non-legion Rohan, so you know, not Helmsguard, not 
uh, defenders of Helm's Deep, they do it for the one-off heroes that aren't in Allegiant. So like Errol the Young, you know, Mitchell Hammond from uh, the Duran show, he's brought it to a competitive event and uh, done really well with it. So in that sense, like you, you would have to have a really specific plan in mind. You know, that's a particular list almost feels like a legendary Legion in itself because it's only one named hero. Or if you want to take advantage of its uh, green alliances, want to ally with like a Minas Tirith list. Uh, so like a specific green alliance to make a list work. Yeah, so I'm going to kick off with the first Legendary Legion, and it is going to be the Black Riders. So the Black Riders is, I think, a very difficult army to play. I've seen it be really annoying to different players, and and when, when played well, you could basically cripple an entire army and end the game early. I know that they fixed it in FAQ where you can't just make your ring wraiths use up all their will and then break yourself and win immediately. But I still feel like they can still end games early. Um, you have access to up to nine casters at the same time. So if done right, you can knock out the enemy leader relatively quickly. And I think what makes it so difficult is that you have nine spell casters that are not super great in combat, but you have to use them to fight as well as cast magic, which we know that it takes a lot of good positioning and um, micro in terms of like where to put each model and measuring the distance between the target and your models because you want them to fight but at the same time you don't want to get charged also being an all-hero army where you're outnumbered most of the time it takes a lot of skill to control this army and get the most out of it and also just to take advantage of your courage penalty uh, on your opponent and try to use that uh, to your defense. Um, I think there's just a lot going on in this Legendary Legion. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you take one or two casters and you really need to justify taking them for their point sink. But imagine nine of them without a battle line, nine of them without like, like one of your objective grabbers is like 60 points or plus. Like that's that's very difficult to pilot, I'd say, in the sense that it's just like, one of those things where you have one tool and that's about it so yeah kudos to whoever brings it super thematic and super cool but i have no idea how to play that i think all hero lists are pretty tough to play in general so i think they can all kind of slot under this one but i think this one probably has a little bit more competitive appeal although like some people may argue that the way it wins is probably not as enjoyable for your opponent but yeah it definitely no one says you know it's going to be easy to win with so you're going to have to take be like really well versed in it and you know do some shenanigans target priority is going to be the big thing for you is learning that because you're not going to be able to win the fight if you just charge in right you've got to neutralize the enemy heroes get rid of certain key pieces and then you can kind of start fighting but until you do that you're it, like it's going to be very difficult for you to to play the game yeah i feel like even with uh, your standard all hero army you have models with three attacks you have like the beat stick to to hold the line and and to to do the, to do the killing but in here like the witch not even the witch king has the morgul crown so everyone's at one attack base and you you have to really know how to deal with every single threat and when to close in and when to stay back and also just you know neutralize the 
the the targets that are providing the fearless the bodyguard or and then try to use your um your harbinger to your advantage right i think that, that probably takes a lot of practice and a lot of games to to get it right but once you do i think it's it's really hard to stop especially for opponents i've never played against this legion richard your second pick okay so um this might be a little surprising as well to some players um, it's kaza doom or the good moria i think out of all the dwarf factions this one is surprisingly difficult because even though the list is quite vast um they're missing quite a few options so they don't have any cav they don't have any spears so they can't form a natural battle line and or they do have spears through the vault wardens but that's that's like a specialty troop you don't have it on the regular warriors and i find that their heroes can be tricky not only do you not have like the mounted option so you have to know how to use foot heroes effectively but some of the rules can be quite tricky as well like floy he can be quite powerful but it requires you to know your opponent's army so you know that's that's knowing the special rules of quite a few armies to actually you know take into account because you know if you just rely on your opponent telling you the main rules like never never do that because they're not gonna you know give that information freely let's just say that. Yeah, it's always a convenience to them when you ask for rules ask a judge or ask the guy that's playing next to you that's the big the best suggestion <laughs> i mean if we're just talking about floyd in general you're gonna have to read through about 20 pages of faqs just to be sure you know what's going on <laughs> yeah and your phone will be like oh the faq that they released uh two weeks ago and you'll be like no the faq they released two hours ago <laughs> it's that, that often to change it yeah, yeah, totally. That's a good point. There's a million FAQs, never ending. And uh, even a hero like Balin as well, like the Longbeard special rule, you know, when to try to contest for priority. You know, I think there's some complexity to that because sometimes you want to do it to lose priority or you want to do it in a place where they, you know, they can't just heroic move and then you you're still forced to counter because then that doesn't really do anything so just knowing i guess when to use the long beard special rule so i guess heroes like that it, they're not necessarily like straightforward yeah in, in anything that's like move five without cav to kind of counter it is going to be really difficult especially in these maneuverability scenarios that you often see in events and stuff and i i just I agree with you because you do see Kaza Doom do well at events, but like seven out of ten well. You know what I mean? Like they're not taking top three. You're always gonna have a difficulty beating them, but you always beat them. It's one of those like always the bridesmaids kind of lists that are out there that just need a little push to make them kind of competitive in the sense. I know Alisher again back to Alisher, he plays them quite often. He does well, but because he has to be tricky about it and take uh, kings who I think have high fight, they can throw a march and whatnot, and you spread out your list where you don't really bring the big boys and wind up with like 40-something models, but then it's still difficult to pilot because it's still just five five inches. It's a big like uh, like fighting thing, and the thing with dwarves from Casa Doom is they never get to choose the type of battle that's going to be fought. They can do well in a battle, but they don't have, I guess, the ability to choose with movement where or how it's going to be fought. 
The other thing that's kind of interesting about this, especially compared to the other dwarf lists, is that your heroes are actually kind of squishy. Like, yeah, I know they're D8, but most of them are only two wounds, one fate. You know, King's Champion is a weird situation. But they can go down against, like, just a, a load of strength four attacks, right? It's not too hard to bring them down compared to some of the other heroes. So it re- does require some pretty careful play to, like, maximize them in addition to the fact that they are just on foot and only move five, like you are saying. I feel like this army is pretty common because of its availability, and also just it has a lot of profiles that beginners are drawn towards, but the difference between like a like a decent Kazadoom player and a great Kazadoom player is huge because there's so many profiles available to, to Kazadoom, so I feel like some of those profiles might be traps for beginners, and also some are just have like a higher ceiling so for example like vault wardens a really experienced player would know how to make them get the most out of them rather than maybe just taking them because you don't have any spears you don't have a shield wall so you just want to take a couple in there like what you do with a certain profile a certain model it can be really complex and an experienced player can get a lot more out of yeah i agree agree with you i think that's why you see only some experienced players. I forget who it is in the UK, but he's really good with them as well. But those ones that are kind of like want to give themselves a challenge. Then again, going back to our whole conversation, like high risk, high reward, like it just, I don't know. I, I feel like all of our, our lists kind of follow along the same, or armies follow along the same pattern of like, it's difficult. And if you don't do it right, you're not going to win. <laughs> and this follows under that banner. All right, Rainier. Your uh, your second one that you alluded to in the intro. All right. So my second one is admittedly an army that I've won events at with. I, I won Nova with it, and I got, I think, seventh place at Articon with it. But Corsairs. So I say this because they are very, very, very finicky. Defense three, and it is is not like a really forgiving army in general. Back to the dwarves, they're all on foot. You can be strategic with it because you can get a lot of numbers out of them, and I guess their throwing weapons kind of extend extend their range. But still, the all-foot army kind of puts you at a disadvantage in a sense, and fight for isn't as strong, I would say, as it used to be maybe like a year or two ago when like now you're having the Easterlings come out with fight five. Think about that. A battle line of Easterlings would just tear through the Corsairs. But um, I say this because I've seen a lot of people bring them. I've played against them a lot uh, with 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 certain armies, and it's just they're very very fragile. I don't know how else to say it. Even in the sense when you think you'll bring a lot of crossbows, and then you have your infantry go forward and your crossbows are at the back, you're still not having the numbers. You really have to think strategically on how you play them make all of your abolister crossbows also combat kind of like anyone with Urukai crossbows. Urukai crossbows are still strength four, defense five, fight four. Corsair crossbows still get backstabber and can still shield and are still fight four. So you really have to think when you play them to like commit everything to it, pepper up your opponent and go big with 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 everything. So if you're gonna bring crossbows, go big with crossbows. If you're gonna bring reavers, go big with reavers. And if you're gonna engage in combat, go big and engage in with combat. Don't do little hit and run tactics or like half of my flank is gonna engage 
well, this, this flank shoots, you really have to be strategic in those micro, I guess, movements and micro decisions when it comes to an all foot defense three to four army. And you know how um, the Green Dragon motto is traps win games? Well, Corsair's is if you don't trap, you don't win. Like it's harder than it sounds because I think even though you have the numbers, like you, you can't just rely on like maybe like one to two traps. That's not going to get you anywhere. And for you to kill as Corsairs, to be like the glass cannon list, you need to be like trapping very often. That's how you get the kills. If you guys want to see like how tough it is, like, you know, go check out our first battle report that we have on the channel. <laughs> because, yeah, like, obviously I'm an experienced player, but Corsairs like wasn't really my kind of list. And me like picking it up it's been quite tough like i brought it to a few like smaller points tournaments that you know these are like where i test out lists i'm not as confident with and i thought because they were always like so highly rated as a list and as an army um i could just you know pick it up and do well with it but you know i i struggled to podium like and i and i tried a couple of times so it's not just like a pick it up and play it like you would most armies yeah and i Going back, I guess, a few years ago when I was on your guys' channel and we talked about them, I think this was on uh, on iTunes, that's why I only played Captains and not Dalgamar and not Reavers, because in a sense, my cowardice came from experience. I don't like taking chances when I play the game. I play very uh, defensively, and that doesn't mean I castle. What that does mean is I'm not going to engage unless I know I'm going to win not just the combat, but win that side of the engagement. So in a sense, now you're kind of getting a clear view of why I thought captains with crossbows were really good, better than uh, bosuns. Why I think uh, going heavy on shields and max out your troops more than reavers for my playstyle was better. And Dalgamar, just without the experience of playing him, he is a soft boy and can die really easy to most heroes who can rogue strike. So. So yeah, they're very, very difficult, very difficult. Like even Samir has tried on, in our group to play them and like take up the mantle of like keeping the pirates in the east and like, but no, once combat hits, it's like a 50-50 to see if your, your army is going to be a battle line or butter. And it's typically butter. I actually like playing Delgamar. So I, I see like different ways of playing Corsairs. Delgamar is obviously the riskier play because the, the whip rule has a chance of killing your own your own troops and also you know just he like you said he's squishy so the, the thing that I find difficult with playing corsairs is you have so many throwing weapons and you kind of have to pay attention to like what model charges which model first because you don't you want to be able to maximize your firepower and then also you have to think about when to throw uh, knives and shoot into combat to you know stop enemy heroes and and uh, deny them of a certain kill and, and things like that. So there, there's a lot of thought that goes into, um, you know, when when you ha move your models around to get the most out of them. It can be a very complex army to play. Yeah, and I think that's what distinguishes them from any other hordes. And like we, we say this uh, in the US, there's like hordes and elite hordes. Hordes is a goblin army, like go or goblin town. You just throw them. You know, okay, I got 12 over there, 18 over here, 16 over there. They're going to do their work. They're going to have their spear supports. Corsairs, like you said, you have to have all those avenues. You have six Corsairs over here. 
you're moving them individually to see, okay, how can I get a throwing weapon? How can I kind of like have an avenue to open up for my Dalgamar or my Dalmir to go through into combat, but they're horsed, uh, they're mounted hero not to come into combat with those squishy heroes. So I agree fully with you. It is a very testy kind of whimsy kind of list that many people just throw in like, ah, backstabber, here we go. Cheap seven, eight warrior, eight point warriors. Let me toss them in, but boy, do they die fast. All right, Ian, your second pick. So my second pick is Lothlorien. <laughs> so basically the biggest difference between this faction and the other two Elven factions is that this one has no hitting power. It doesn't really have any mounted heroes besides the captain. And the, the captain's not bad, you know, you still fight six and you can get the three attacks on the charge. But other than that, you don't really have any hitting power, right? Rivendell has all the bigger mounted heroes with three attacks. Thranduil's Halls has the plus one to wound bubble and Thranduil himself. This one, your biggest hitter is Kelborn, and he's not bad, but he's on foot. So he can't hit hard. He can't do a lot of wounds per turn. He can be consistent, but he can't do the damage. And it's kind of the same thing just with like the rest of the profiles in the list. There isn't really any way to do damage besides taking advantage of all of the um, hand-and-a-half weapons that you have. That's where your damage comes from. The other difference between this and other Elven factions is when you're running it pure, you can actually get a reasonable amount of might and a pretty significant number of troops. So you have to learn how to play you know, weaker heroes, but pretty strong troops. And like, like you can get, you know, not a horde, but maybe like, you know, you're, you're going to be getting above the average uh, number of models in the whatever points bracket you're at. Like at 800, 40 to 45 models wouldn't be that uncommon for a Lothlorien army. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought them up to, to this discussion because they are very, like they shoot well. If you bring all the all the bits and pieces, they they don't have enough troops to like go get stuff. If you bring a lot of models, like which I think is the smart battle list, like you mentioned, they kind of play in a sense like old Easterlings without the upgrade, to where you can throw them in a position. Use your with the Easterlings, what you used to do is you used to throw them into the position, just hope you don't you don't die too much. You die enough to where you have the objectives or you kind of fight off, but you can't really kill anything, right? And I feel like Lothlorien is that now. You can throw them into position, they're fight five, fight six, they can win fights, they can die and survive and stay with their courage five, but they don't, like you said, have that punch to kill stuff. And they don't have that new Dragon Emperor or <laughs> these cool heroes to kind of make them like more competitive. So you're kind of stuck with like a list that isn't yeah, it's just hard. You don't know what to do. Do I castle with it? Oh, but the objectives are like six objectives all over the place. Do I charge with it? Oh, but like because they're so expensive, I only have 30 models. It's it's just really difficult for players. So what you're saying is Lothlorien should be able to ally in the Dragon Emperor? What I'm saying is they should change Lady of Light to have six Gladrum Court carrying her on throne <laughs> <laughs> and giving all the Gladrum Court fight seven that's what i'm saying it won't break anything at all you'll get fight seven for like 11 points that's what i'm saying richard got it <laughs> the mirror's on the throne as well so. <laughs>
On the topic of Galadriel, I think it also takes a bit of experience to control perfectly because, you know, you have a pretty survivable hero, but at the same time, certain scenarios you could be a little bit challenging, like Contest of Champions. So not like always the ideal sort of leader that you would want. What are y'all's thoughts on Orphan? Does he add anything to the list? He is perfectly adequate. You can swap him in with Haldir and Rumil as much as you want, and I don't think it's going to change that much. I, it really depends what you want, you know? He kind of... Haldir and Rumil bring different things than he does. He kind of competes, I guess, with the captain. If you think you can keep getting charges off, the captain will be better. Like, the captain has better highs and lows. Orphan's more consistent, because he's always going to have the three attacks. So he's going to... He should consistently be able to kill a troop a turn. And the captain... We'll have turns he does nothing. He'll have turns for hero combats and kills four guys. That makes sense. And I'm curious, too, what the list build is. Because in the States, you see it here and there, but not really besides a few players in New York. I feel like the last homely house of Walt Florian is above the U.S. border in Canada. So I'm curious how you would make it, I guess, competitive, like build a competitive list. What are the tools you would bring? Well... Personally, it's very fortunate that Florian has a lovely alliance matrix and a few really good green allies that kind of cover all of their weaknesses very well. So I, it's been a long time since I've run just Florian by itself, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's what I think. I think you guys need to change the episode's name to plug that hole. So we're just finding all the weaknesses and we finally come to the conclusion that is yeah, they actually can't. Corsairs, you can't play without Soladan. You have to ally in Rivendale. The Black Riders, you can play, but only at like a 400-point, like, two-man tournament. So you just got to plug the holes with allies. Okay, so my second pick is Angmar. Uh, so Angmar, you know, I'm sure you guys know, is very popular, and uh, especially a few years ago, Saw it a lot on the tournament scene. I think the list is hard to play because um, in contrast to what we said in the beginner episode where the best beginner armies are armies that have really good troops, like really either good value or uh, very solid troops. Angmar doesn't really have that. It's not what the army is really about. Angmar is about stacking debuffs that weaken your opponent and then let your crappy fight three orcs do the damage for you. So um, you have to know not only which heroes to pick, but also like how to use them to have the biggest impact. Also recently with the rise of uh, the shooting meta, the, there being a lot of shooting lists, Angmar is a little bit more challenging to play, I find recently. You have to find uh, ways of closing in on your opponent. You don't have good shooting yourself, so uh, you definitely want to... Uh, minimize the damage you take from that and uh, in certain lists that can be really difficult so i think there are just a lot of things in angmar that uh, a lot of choices you have to make and um but if you make the right ones if you combine the right heroes and write like a really strong list and you know what you're doing i think they're still a top tier army yeah i feel like agmar if you want to get good in the game and you're just starting play agmar at a tournament over and over and over again. Uh, I have an example of this. Josh Brown from our group, when I left for Korea, 
he had just started and he was a big Agmar fan and he was like a really good, he'd always get like best sport or anything like that. And then I just see in the feed of Philly SBG, Josh Brown, third place, Josh Brown, second place, Josh Brown, first place. And I'm like, what the heck? But truth is Agmar doesn't really have a ceiling besides shooting against it. So in a sense, you can get last place, but you can also get first place with this list just because it has, like you said, Charles, all these juicy tools. You're talking about Barrow Whites that can paralyze something for like, what, 45 or 55 points? You're talking about a shade that can shut down everything, make your opponent's sweet, beautiful, like Knights of Dale battle line just crumble like it's butter. You're talking about Golovar who can like go behind like a low defense or like a, even a high defense battle line and take out a hero, assassinate and throw things like crazy. So there's just so much to it that, it, yeah, it, it takes a lot of skill to build the list and it takes a lot of skill to know absolutely every different rule and role for your for your for your troops because there's so much to it yeah i think um the hardest part about angmar is it being like probably the biggest glass cannon army in the game we talked about that a little bit for corsairs but angmar is like almost on a different level because the biggest hitters are very very expensive so like gulivar 200 points like nothing in the corsair list even comes close to that so you know you can lose Golovar quite quickly. And I, I find that, as you brought up, the biggest weakness of Angmar is shooting. And I think unless the rule set changes, I think shooting is always going to be somewhat prevalent in the meta because it's just so strong. Different rotations, like currently, right now, it's Assault on Lothorian is very popular. But the main thing for Angmar is you can't get shot off the table. And you can very easily encounter, like, I don't know, more than half of your games in a tournament coming up against a very, very heavy shooting list. Yeah, and I, I like how you brought up Assault on Lothorin is I think Angmar was the meta for 2019, maybe 2020, but these new legendary legions, it's, of course, the shooting, like you mentioned, that can tear apart Angmar, but also these lists that just hit really hard. And Angmar still has orcs that aren't that expensive. They still have like all their point sinks, like you said, into the to the to the heavy expensive models. So in the sense, something like Assault on Lothorian punches hard and just breaks it. Or something like Moria that we mentioned as well. If you bring all these sweet little tools, all these other monsters are just gonna be tearing things to pieces and whatnot. Or or the Dragon Emperor, like, yeah, or just Easterlings in general. Okay, you have Golovar, but I have Amder. He can go up to like fight. 10 with an elven blade and kill Golivar. you have to like watch your back plus i have this battle line that's just ripping through it so it's yeah i feel like more things like you kind of alluded to more things are countering it to make it even more of a glass cannon because it was always a glass cannon but now everyone's like yeah i know it's a glass cannon and i know how to break it so you better be really good with it list building is also big for this like faction too right it really depends on like what monsters you want to take and, you know, if you go the shade route, that changes how you're going to be playing your game, right? You're going to want to be fighting, like, in a battle line and making the most out of your shade. Or are you going to go for, like, Gulivar or Birder and try and go the monster route where you can, like, and use the magic so you can hit hard with them and try and pick off heroes, right? So it, it's a very interesting list, and, and, and it's kind of cool that you can build it two different ways, and it kind of feels like two different lists. Well, those have been our advanced armies for this episode. 
thank you all for watching and thanks for Anir for coming on as a guest and sharing your experience. Please let us know what you think of our picks in the comments and look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast.